Alrighty. So, uh, the theme of dawn continues. <laughs> so, so, today let's begin as we usually do with, whoops. All right. So, a summary of the last teaching of voice last week, and uh, Andrew had a nice email he shared with some of us this week, which I think uh, brought us into uh, an update in terms of the interpretation. So, to the best of my ability, Spirit read here is what I did to try to summarize last week's lesson, which I did not hear, but reviewed uh, the email bander, which is quite informative. So we, and I'm using scripture in italics as I usually do, who have been born of God, do not sin, because when or if and whatever, <laughs> we keep ourselves from the wicked one. So, you know, this is something that really is the life we have in Christ, but we personally have that responsibility to guard ourselves, guard ourselves against the power of the, of the devil, the power of the flesh, and the power of the world system around us. Second point, we know that we are a God who is true in his son, Jesus Christ, and eternal life is in him. Well, eternal life's not in him, too, but it's a different eternity, right? <laughs> There's life after death for everyone, but ultimately for us, it's in his presence forevermore. Alternatively, the world lies in wickedness, and the future is not very bright. And finally, uh, ending up the first epistle of the Apostle John, we need to guard ourselves from idols, and idols can come in a wide variety of flavors. So anyway, I mean, Old Testament idols were pretty clearly described scripturally, but for us, you can think of everything that can distract us to the extent that we put more faith in them than we do the Word of God. All right, so let's begin by reading the first four verses. Interesting, the title that Roger gave is a salutation, but the salutation doesn't start till verse three. But anyway, all that aside, that's the salutation. So uh, in my version here, New King James, to the elder, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only, but I also, those who have known the truth, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you. From God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. Verse 4, I rejoiced greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we received commandment from the Father. All right, this became a little more interesting. It's an interesting text, actually. And so there, there's some themes I got out of here that I think will be useful to all of us as we consider this section of scripture. First of all, only one chapter in Second John. Okay. So when I have I note the verses, I see Second John one and I'd say chapter one because there's only one chapter. All right. First verse, the elder to the elect lady and her child her and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all those who have known the truth. Who's the elder? Is it, it's it an older person, which is what the Greek term could describe, or alternatively, is this someone who presides over the local church? What are your what are your thoughts here? Yes. Or both? It could be, you know, in general, we think of elders in the body as someone who's more mature in the Lord, older by age. What are your thoughts here? We have no further description of who this individual is. What are your thoughts? And by the way, there's no right answer here. I don't well, think. I think Jim said the obvious one is that it's John. It's John who 
who's writing this letter. Maybe okay. That's one. Now. That's certainly a okay. possibility. Interesting way it started, isn't it? The right. elder. Uh, is is that John identify himself at the beginning of the epistle? Maybe. I think it is. I think John was an elder in that church, but he was an also also an apostle, you know, and he was older. Yeah, okay. John's not a young man here. Right? This is near the end of his life, chronologically. So, yeah, I think this is a, an elder in terms of the leader of the local church or assembly, but also likely an older man. So I think it can be and or, I think it's probably and both. And it likely is John himself, but we have no further definition about this. All right, second question to the class. Who's this elect lady? And what about her children? And uh, I think ultimately, this is likely a Christian woman to whom the epistle of John is addressed. Ultimately, you know, I think there's lots of opinions about who this woman is. So, you know, in 2 John 1, 5, we're not going to get to that verse today, but it relates to her again. And now I plead with you, lady, and, this, and the text goes on. We'll have whoever's teaching next week address that. But anyway, she's mentioned twice here. So obviously the letter is directed to her for the purposes to follow. All right. Now, here's all these opinions. I, I was hesitant to put all these down, but I thought they were kind of interesting in a way. Jameson Fawcett Brown, one of my favorite commentaries. Bengal takes the Greek as a proper name, Kyria, answering to the Hebrew Martha. I find that a little interesting, actually. So that this is a woman, perhaps, in the Hebrew named Martha, and that makes us think of other Marthas anyway, but I'm convinced it's not that Martha that we talk about who ministered to the Lord Jesus Christ. Vincent offers three possibilities. Okay. That the letter was addressed to a certain Babylonian named Electa. The second okay. is, it's a person named Curia, which is really what Jameson Foster <laughs> Brown said. Or alternatively, it could be Electra Curia, a compound proper name, whatever. We don't know who this woman is, but anyway, that's the speculation of who she was. Meyer says, this is a model of old world correspondence written then by the apostle who is a guest of the nephews of the lady addressed. Now, how, how do they got that out of here? The only reason I'm sharing all this with you is because it's, it's so unnecessary for us to understand exactly who she was. She may have a name called Curia or Electa Curia, uh, Hebrew, Martha, whatever. But then I think by the way, I think more important here in interpretation, are these her own children by birth? Or are these the children she's brought to the Lord through the truth of her ministry? What What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, Kevin? Just a, a note uh, in my Bible, it said uh, to the chosen lady, and her children could refer to a specific woman or to a church whose identity is no longer known. Mm -hmm. What's not known? The woman or the church? The church. The church, yeah. Okay. Or could be both. Okay. What about, do you think these are her children by birth? Again, we can only speculate. Probably doesn't make a lot of difference, does it? Or it could be children. You know, we find the offspring of our ministry yeah. ultimately bringing people to the Lord. Jim? Yeah, Audrey uh, says the same thing Carolyn said. The, the, the elected lady could be the church. Okay. In this locality, and her children are the uh, all are the, yeah. 
Yeah, I saw that interpretation too, that the, uh, the lady could be the church itself. Although there's, I think, substantial reason to think that maybe that's not true, but it could be. I think that's another interpretation. Well, you know, the, uh, uh, in other places it's mentioned you know, about the church as a, a female. Uh, right, right, but what, is there anywhere else in scripture where the church is called a lady? Not a lady, no. Well, I know that's, well, whatever. I think. You know, but but these children could be her own children who are led in truth, or ultimately the children that she brings to the Lord by the type of ministry of 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 she or the church itself. Right? So I think we can only speculate here in terms of the exact interpretation. All right, let's move on. You might have, you might have had a question online. I'm not sure. Oh, do we? Yeah. Have I got a question? So we don't know if you can hear me. Can you? Very hard to hear you, Roy. Very low. <laughs> How about now? Yes. Okay. Uh, look at the last verse of the chapter here, verse 12. The children of your chosen sister uh, greet you. The emphasis there, of course, would be maybe uh, as a parallel to what we're talking about, uh, her children you know, being the church and the children in the church. Well, verse 13, you mean. Okay. Yeah, did I say it differently? Yeah, you said 12. That's okay, but I was looking uh -huh. at 12, I didn't see it, but I do see it 13. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, anyway, that's, I, that's, I, that's I found that interesting. Yeah. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. All right. Okay, next. What, what is the predominant theme of these first few verses here? Or even this verse? Go back to the verse. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also those who have known the truth. What's the theme? Truth. Very good. <laughs> That's an easy question for you. All right, we're going to kind of look at this in a little bit more detail. Whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all those who have known Ganoska, by the way, and more thorough knowledge or in-depth knowledge, the truth. Strong's definition of truth is taught in the Christian religion respecting God and the execution of his purposes through Christ and respecting the, the duties of man opposed alike to the superstitions of the Gentiles and the inventions of the Jews and to the corrupt opinions and precepts of false teachers even among Christians. And we might say in this section we're anticipating false teaching, and that will be the, the theme of what follows next week. But anyway, all, that's a long definition. Yes. And I'm going to drill down on this because I'm really a great believer that truth is the most important thing that the Bible offers. And I'm going to put that in context in a second. So the question of the class, how important is truth to us as believers? Critical. Yes, please. Um, I think truth is important because actually to me the most important thing is our faith. You can't have faith unless you you believe completely in what you're having faith in. Beautiful. So you've got to have the truth or you're not going to get the faith. You, in this political world we live in and the world system all about us, what do we rely on is truth in terms of somebody who's making up to any given standard. It's the Bible, is it not? So truth is so incredibly important. I'm going to document this here. So I'm going to make a statement. I believe truth is everything, and without our faith is truly 
And without truth, our faith is truly dead. Mm-hmm. All right, let's look at a little scripture to support this. And I could pull it from the epistles left and right, but I'm going to take time to read these verses for everyone's benefit or, you know, rem- reminder. And the word became flesh and dwell among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Okay. John 1, 17, for the for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Truth. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Boy, that's a pejorative statement to the unbeliever. You know, all these other religions of the world. John 8, 32, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. What does that mean, by the way, the truth will make us free? What, are you, do you feel free? I do. Mm-hmm. What, what's that freedom? Mm-hmm. Yes, please. Well, I think part of it is the freedom from our uh, our earthly desires to a certain degree. Instead of being completely overwhelmed by the secular things in our life, we know the truth, and we're not always in the control of Satan's secular things. All right, I think of the freedom really positionally placed. So the penalty of our sins is taken care of, and the sin nature has been crucified. So when Christ said, I'm going to make you free, that's free to live a life of joy and and glorifying to God by the absence of any penalty for our sin, although we do fall short. But it's a freedom to live a life free of sin. It's a new freedom that only God can give us. Free yeah. from condemnation. Yeah. Free from right. condemnation. Say the yeah. penalty of sins is taken yeah. care of, and ultimately the sin nature before right. the Lord. He hath made him to be made sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So positionally sound. Yeah. You also say, Bob, that it's, <clears throat> it's freedom from the sin nature because that, that's part of this whole idea of the truth will set you free if you believe it and trust in it. From, the, from your sin nature, which is, um, you know. Well, that sin nature that always result, it is, it's resolved before God, but not in ourselves right. because we still have it. Right. But we need to reckon ourselves right. indeed dead in the sin. You, you have to, you know, yeah. the Lord wants us to count upon that. Count upon it. Yeah. Consider it true. Right. Right? right. Okay, good. All right, let's, let's go on here. Uh, John 14, 17. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him, meaning Christ, nor knows him, Christ, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So the spirit of truth, the world can't see that. But we can see them through the power of the spirit. John 17, 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Second Timothy 2, 15, one of multiple examples in the, in the epistles to follow the gospel accounts. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And that's a verse that I just keep in my mind all the time. We That's our job here at Holly Hills. And it's job for the church, the spiritual church, is to rightly divide the word of truth. All of the Bible is for us, but all of the Bible is not about us. The Old Testament is under law. God's principles never change. But ultimately, how we respond to them, we live in a cloud of grace, which is a whole different ballgame. We're going to come back to that in a second. 
So, in fact, I'm going to make a pretty strong statement. This point was made earlier. In fact, without truth, nothing else occurs or really matters. Love, faith, hope, obedience, any of these things fail if we are not based, basing these things. Our love, our faith, our hope, and our obedience to the truth of the word has to be founded on the truth of the word. So the theme here is truth, and we can't get around that. And I think as we think about this, as our day-to-day -day lives continue, God willing, ultimately the truth of the word of God is our, our only standard of what's right and what's wrong. And again, rightly dividing the word of truth, going back to the proverb, and proverbs are wonderful in terms of very principles of God, but the proverbs aren't always applicable to the atmosphere of grace we live in today. Okay. All right, any further comments on verse one? Well, I was just thinking, Bonnie, truth shall make you free. I was thinking some people spend their whole life trying to find the truth, but we know it, so we're free from that. So yeah, and keep thinking. in mind this freedom that we have ultimately may be in different in each and every one of us. I mean, our personalities are all somewhat different. And personality is not wrong or right. It's just some people are more talkative. Some people are shy. So that has nothing to do with the truth of the word of God. Karen, what, what are you laughing about? <laughs> I didn't say anything. You don't have to. <laughs> all right, let's move on to verse two. Then because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Okay. Because the truth which abides is present active, okay? That means now, right? And it's ongoing. And it, it speaks, I think, further to the importance of truth. How should we interpret the truth abiding in us and will be abiding in us forever? Well, Bob, I, I'm not sure you're going this direction. Maybe you are. Uh, you quoted the, the verse that the Lord said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Well, to me, this verse speaks of that. The, the truth is speaking of our Savior. And he's and abiding in us. He is abiding in us. And will be with us forever. So I kind of, to me, that speaks to the Lord Jesus. I'm not sure that's exactly Okay, right. and what about forever? Is that truth going to be any different when we're out of these earthly bodies? No. No, no the truth will always be there. Our relationship will be changed. We'll not be in our earthly bodies. We'll be in our spiritual bodies. Right. And in the Tuesday study, Roger, you're being exposed to that too, as I am, and Roy is, and others. But the Tuesday study, what you know, is when Christ comes again at the rapture. We're talking about the dead in Christ being raised first, but it's like an instantaneous situation. Those who are alive go to be with the Lord. But what happens when we die now, before the rapture? What is that a different body that we have in heavenly places? We're not going to discuss that here today. Okay. So this this truth that we have is the same we have now as we people have eternity. But the mind of Christ, we all say, well, I'm not quite sure I have the total mind of Christ right now. But boy, then we will, won't we? We'll have a view as he views, hopefully, of heavenly things and only things in heavenly places. I think it's a sentiment which John frequently emphasizes, isn't it? Um, 1 John 1, 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness... We lie and do not practice the truth. I mean, it, isn't that so true? Mm -hmm. I mean, again, emphasizing the importance of truth, the fact that it abides in us and continues forever. And the second point is First John 2, 6, which is next week. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. 
So this is this new life in Christ Jesus that we all have, which is spirit-led, which brings glory to God. I mean, I don't think we need to be schizophrenic about this. Gee, was that of the flesh or was that of the spirit? You go crazy with that kind of mindset. It reminds us, Margaret, of a man who used to be in our Bible study who, in fact, you know, became schizophrenic as of analyzing everything they oh, said and did. Gee, was that of the spirit or was that of the flesh? We need to know Christ and live in him. The power of the spirit driving the life in truth that is part of each and every one of us. First John 2, 9. First John 4, 9, excuse me. In, in this, the love of God was manifested towards us that God has sent his only begotten son to the world that we might live through or in him. So this is what it talks about, the truth abiding in us now. And what do you think about abiding? I mean, we discussed that a fair amount in the first epistle. Thoughts out loud again about abiding. What's it mean to abide? Be at home with. Be at home. Oh, that's good. Okay. Like we're, we all abide in our own residencies, right? How so, used, used to say hanging out with the Lord. Hanging out <laughs> with the Lord. Okay. Yes, please. Uh, I guess in the back of our minds, we're always putting Christ first. Whether we're successful or not, we have this desire, this strong desire to continue to have him affecting the way we think and do everything. Yeah, that's a new life, isn't it? We, we are new creations in Christ Jesus. Yes, we're the same body and we have the same soul that's being transformed in the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. For me to live as Christ and die as game, Jim. Jim and I were talking about that in the parking lot after <laughs> So, okay, good. All right, on to verse three. Here's the salutation, if you will. <laughs> Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. And this is a little different different versions, but I don't want to get pinned down on the slight differences in this. I mean, it, it just really doesn't make that much difference as whether the, from those here or there. But anyway, this is the salutation. And isn't this very much like Paul? I mean, if Paul's, you know, almost every epistle Paul begins this, John has to wait to the third verse <laughs> to bring this up for whatever reason. But let's not dissect that one in terms of the intent of it being in the third verse and not the first. We need to learn about the elder and the elect here, the lady person. Uh, notice that all these gifts of God through Christ is a promissory note. Will be is in future tense. Okay. What do you make of that? Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Are we thinking about only an eternity future? Are we talking about now also? Don't you think? Don't all answer it once, please. Don't, don't you just think it means going forward well, through your life? I mean, it's it's. It, yeah. There's uh, unending grace, mercy, and peace, and we're going to find those in a second, just to be succinct here. Yes, it's just, we have it now, but it's going to be continuing forever. So let's define these, and I'm going to do my best to take things that nobody defines perfectly. Mike Thor always says, that, you know, grace is the least understood principle of the unsaved world, but also within us as believers. But I'm going to summarize it very simply, say undeserved and merciful kindness of God. Okay? We don't deserve any of this, but we are filled with it. Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace are you saved, not by, not, and not through faith. It's you're saved through faith and not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. Okay. So grace is a saving principle. 
and it's uh, through faith that faith is the vehicle, yeah. but grace is the foundation. Yeah. Yeah. Important point in that verse is that you know salvation is a gift, not faith. Faith is not not the gift. Right. In that verse. Well, that's why it's highlighted there also. <laughs> Notice when I put things in bold, I want to bring more emphasis to that. All right, mercy, undeserved forgiveness, and that's of sins or the sin nature towards our miserable and afflicted state. I couldn't get around putting <laughs> miserable and afflicted because every Greek definition uses those terms. So we were miserable and afflicted, weren't we, before the mercy of God? Because the sin nature has nothing to bring to the altar. All right, Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. All right, so it's by mercy we're saved, and then we get this gift of grace. So grace is undeserved, and it's the new life we have in Christ Jesus. Peace, the tr and by the way, is this the peace Peace before God or the peace of God? And that we could talk about. But I think this is the tranquil state of a soul, assured of its salvation through Christ, which is a result of grace and mercy. So these three are really tied together. Mercy, our sins are forgiven. Grace is the new principle of life before us. And ultimately, peace is what we have. Isn't it neat to have peace with God and the peace of God? All right. Philippians 4, 7, the peace of God which passes all understanding so keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We, lo we lose that peace at times, don't we? We get concerned about a lot of things. In fact, I lost it a little bit this morning feeling like I needed to get up a half hour earlier. Anyway, so, but it, it, anyway, you're getting the lesson today anyway. All right. From God the Father, from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, note the necessary teamwork here. <laughs> okay? I mean, this is not the providence of God only. It's with his only begotten Son that all, all this is accomplished. In truth and love is part of this verse. Because of this emphasis, again, this theme, and the, the first several verses, it implies false teachings, which are addressed further in verses 7 through 11. Because I think this theme of truth, again, relates to what follows in this epistle. And John you know, calls anyone who's an unbeliever uh, uh, a false teacher, an antichrist. Isn't it amazing how many antichrists there are? We all think of the one antichrist in the book of Revelation. But John calls everyone who's unsaved an antichrist. And in fact, yeah, they are. <laughs> that, that is a theme that relates to the unsaved, isn't it? Right. If you are not for me, you're against me, right? Right. <laughs> mm -hmm. were you going to say something? Did I hear you? Oh, okay. So verse 4, uh, I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth as we have received a commandment from the Father. Well, all right. Notice John here rejoiced greatly about all these children and it relates to how important it is to walk in truth. So he had been witnessing or had sufficient information that this theme of truth has continued in the body who he's addressing in this particular epistle. And that relates to our lives. Again, I've said this a hundred times. Hal said, you may be the only Bible people ever read. So our walk 
our abiding walk really relates to how the world sees us. So when and where did John find out? This is a perfect active indicative. Let's go back to the verse. <clears throat> I rejoice, Gracie, that I found the five children walking in truth. How do you find out about them? Yeah, that was my response too. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. Well, <laughs> it, it, it's not like a figure of speech. I may say, I, I, I found Bob teaching today, or I found Joe doing this, or Sally doing that. Isn't that more of a figure of speech? But, but Roger, sure, I'm going to challenge. Bob's <laughs> teaching by God's grace I agree. at Hollywood's Bible Church on Holly Street in Denver, Colorado. <laughs> but but I, you know, I, I walked into the class, and, oh, Bob's teaching today. I don't know. That's my... I think he found from the lady or whatever. Yeah. Okay. The next verse says, no, I have some ladies, so... Okay, so this lady plays an ongoing role. Yeah, or a church. But we don't really know. I think, you know, these are the kinds of things that don't draw you away from the truth of the Word of God. They're, they're just details that probably we don't have to have the answer to. But it's always fun to ask questions that we can't answer. It makes for class discussion anyway. So nobody has any other opinion. <laughs> Yeah, we don't relate John to any particular church or body of believers. I mean, there's no. Well, this is a letter, is it? Mm -hmm. I mean, he could have had a letter yeah. come from or the he, church. Yeah, and he could have tra been traveling and, you know. No. We're just served by word of mouth. Right. Okay. okay. This is speculation 101 here, but anyway, this is, this is okay. Or speculation, <laughs> <laughs> scriptural locations for dummies kind of thing. Second John 12, having many things to write to you, I do not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face mm -hmm. that our joy may be full. And in third John, verse 14, but I hope to see you shortly and we shall speak face to face. Peace to you, our friends, greet you, et cetera, et cetera. So just like Paul, who's how often Paul said, I'm planning to come to see you. Mm -hmm. And sometimes he got there and sometimes he didn't. But here, John desires to join this group. So uh, we have no idea whether I ever got there. So is this written after his revelation of the book of Revelation at the hands and position and, and presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, do you think? Is this before or after the heavenly experience? Okay. Who said? I thought it was before. Before? Okay. What are other people thought? Any knowledge? Really? Did he ever left Patmos after we yeah. wrote Revelation? Well, I don't. Do we? Roger. Um, I don't know. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, um, okay. But I just look at my Bible. It has all these these dates. This has um, circa ninety A.D. and then Revelation has ninety five to ninety six. So I had, I thought it was before Revelation, but. Mm -hmm. So that's supported by what Margaret just said. Yeah, so, okay, so the Patmos experience is really the terminal writings of the Apostle John. All right, good. Walking in truth. <laughs> the theme returns, doesn't it? Walking in truth. And truth is the source of everything to follow. Second Corinthians 4.2 But have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, by the way, another way to walk, or handling the word of God deceit, deceitfully. How many people have quoted scripture out of context and used that as a law in terms of measuring or judging your daily walk? And be careful there. But by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Again, 
John's really drilling down on truth. And scripture is the only source of truth. Yes, sir. Um, in my life, and I can't speak for other people, but the truth is important because a lot of people will come to you with half-truths. And I think that when God refines us, he allows those those um, evil doubts to come in. And we have to build our strength and rely on the truth because Satan's going to use this against us. Yeah, well, I'll share a personal experience. I, I grew up in a mainline uh, Protestant church and never heard the personal gospel. Now, that may have been my problem, not the church. So I'm not <laughs> blaming anybody. Then I went to college, and of course, college, where's God anyway, right? The question even comes up, is there really a God? And so I kind of left that space for a while and didn't think much about it. And then my late wife, Sharon, uh, and I were figuring out how to raise children. And <laughs> we had two at that point. And uh, I remember her dad saying to us very clearly, saying, you know, you guys got to be more consistent. You, you Based on your mood, you can't really punish your children when, when you're in a good mood, you wouldn't. I mean, the, the thing, you need something more to get you solidified in how to be parents. So Sharon went to uh, a Bible study at a local, very mainline church. But anyway, she got involved with Bible Study Fellowship, which is a women's ministry that's been out there for a long time. And she got saved. And that's in September of 1977. And she had heard about the Gothard ministry. So she took me to the Gothard ministry and I didn't want anything to do with all this. <laughs> but what I saw was a woman who I dated since she was 13, kind of a change over that next year. And I was paying attention to this. And then ultimately she convinced me to go back to a Gothard seminar. Now I'm not promoting the Gothard <laughs> seminar, but what I'm saying is for two years in a row, I heard the individual gospel and I saw it by her walk demonstrated me, and I thought this was the truth, that I was a sinner that needed to be saved by grace. I didn't understand all that very well, but on July 14th, 1978, I came to the Lord. But it was the truth of the fact that I was, felt, fell far short of God's holiness and righteousness that I needed help. And so the truth is really what brought me to salvation. But that same truth is what needs to pervade in each and every one of our lives and we're not to judge one another except when it's scripturally sound for the elders to be involved within the body. But nevertheless, again, we all bring a different personality to living out the truth in our life. And it begins with getting saved. And I shared my own personal experience there. So we've received a commandment from the Father. What commandment is this? And, and doesn't he state this again? What, what are your thoughts? What's the commandment? You know, we don't need to be puzzled by commandments. I mean, the two great commandments... Love the God with, with all your heart. And secondly, love everyone else as he has loved us. And what kind of love is this? I, I may not like somebody, but the love of the Lord Jesus Christ extends past that. I can see them as in, in Christ and say that you may not like this person, but I got to love them. And that's a whole different ballgame. So your thoughts, what commandment is he uh, referring to here? Is this another commandment? I thought we weren't under law anymore. Well, let's see what we have here. Third John 4, just as an example. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. <laughs> and I think that's the commandment. I, I, I think 
you know, you could say, well, love God with all your heart and all your soul, or you could love the other as, as Christ loved you, but that's all the truth being lived out. That's the walk. That's the abiding. It's not something, some new law that we need to keep. How are you doing in, in walking in truth? I mean, that's a, that's a question we need to be asking ourselves, not under some legal system, but the truth is the atmosphere of grace for which we've been saved and continue to be saved going forward. Remember, I was saved. I'm being saved day in and day out, and I will be saved once we leave our earthly bodies. Thoughts about this? Bob doesn't come back to the fact that our Savior is the truth. So as we as, as we walk with Him, as we abide with Him, hang out with Him, and in fellowship with Him, we are in the truth. And so, so I think that kind of connects it together. That mm -hmm. uh, the focus is our Savior. All right, American Sanders says, "Just as the Father commanded us." Well, that's a little different wording than the New King James, but. I, I like this a little bit better, just as the Father commanded us. He's commanded us to walk in truth and to abide. That's the theme that John brings forth here. And present, presumably that, again, relates to walking in the truth. So to end today, 2 John 1, 6 to be covered next week. This is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment that, as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. So I, I think since in verse 6 he clarifies what he's mentioning in verse 4, then I think unequivocally walking in truth is that new life we have in Christ Jesus, which is the command. All right, so we've uh, probably come time to close today. Any further uh, questions, thoughts, comments from anyone? Uh, that reminds me that Second John 1, 6 reminds me of First John Two, seven, and eight, I believe. Now you want to read that? Yeah. Uh, this is the this is the new commandment I, I'm giving you that you should walk, that you should love one another. Yeah, you know, and, and, and so on. But uh, very similar. You know, this is obviously John wrote this this little epistle because it's so similar to uh, his gospel and his first first epistle. And you think about that. If that's the new commandment, we should love one another. How are you doing at that? Yeah, right. I mean, the flesh doesn't have that capability. We can't do that in our flesh. No, it's only the new life. Like I'm saying, the, the idea that we need to like everyone is not something we're called to. We're to love them. Now, liking them is kind of the human experience. People, you know, you know people you would like to be with a lot and people you don't want to be with a lot for no good reason or bad reason. It's just we all kind of get along with one another differently. But to love them is a whole different ballgame. Now, like and love are two different completely different things. I may not like somebody, but I got to love them. Yep, and that's another nature, isn't it? That's your new nature, your new creation. That comes, that comes straight from Jesus Christ. That makes you walk in truth. That's kind of neat. It kind of takes the pressure off, doesn't it? Yes, it does. To think if you're living under law and you must love everybody as Christ loved you, then you're going to fail at that. There's just no ability to do that in the human spirit. But in the new man we are in Christ Jesus, that becomes a way of life. Any other comments, thoughts? All right, Jim, close us in prayer. Would you please? Father, we thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you that you live through us and we don't have to try and work it, work it out in our flesh. 
We pray that uh, you would uh, continue to teach us throughout this day, and we uh, we just we just love you. We love each other because of you. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.